This is the Souls of San Francisco podcast by Souls of Society. I'm Dijon, founder of Souls of Society. Each week, we connect with a member of our community to hear their story and get to know them better so we can strengthen our community bonds. All right. I'm stoked today to be with, you might have to fix my pronunciation, Elisa Freya. Yeah. Okay, I got oh. it. I got it. Killed it. Um, we are connected randomly. For one, I met her mother at the Mill Valley Film Festival, even though her mother splits time between Paris and the Bay. And then we have a mutual friend, Jessica Saint-Man, who is Lebanese, and Elisa is also Lebanese, so they're connected, and we got connected on Facebook, and now we're actually face-to-face in yeah. person. The wonders of the internet. Isn't it great? Yeah. After more than a few years, I think, of just seeing your face online, mm-hmm. we're connected now. We're connected now. Um, when we got connected virtually, you were doing this... Uh, like a world traveling project, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't exactly understand what it was, but it looked like fun. And it was <laughs> so I was like, what is, what's going on here? This looks cool. Mm-hmm. What, what was that? Uh, that was called A Billion Shades of Beige, uh, and the website's still up, so billionshadesofbeige.com, um, that I, it's a project I did with one of my best friends, a guy called Skylar Green, who's a um, super gifted photographer. Um, music photographer, lifestyle photographer, uh, who's now in, in LA, but he's a friend of mine that I met at summer camp a few years back that I've always gotten to know in traveling. So over, let's say five or six years of our, the first part of our friendship, we would just meet in different cities because he was studying abroad one semester in Italy or in Sweden or in Germany. And I was living in Paris or Madrid. So I would meet him in Barcelona or we'd meet up in London um, and then, I mean, we just, we would always just travel together and we would just got super used to it. So I wanted to do this road trip when I was done with college and I wanted to do that great American road trip, right? This Kerouac, ideal, um, kind of, um, like a, what is it, what is it called? The, a coming of age. A coming of age, yeah. right? A coming of age moment in your life. So I, I, I wanted to do this trip, um, and there was no other person I thought that I could like stay in a steel box with for two months other than Skylar. Um, and so I, I'm a, I write. I write I'm, um, a little bit of poetry, but I feel very comfortable just kind of writing my thoughts out. And he's he's a photographer, so we said, all right, let's have a mission to it. We don't we don't want to just get in the car and just go around without some sort of point um and so we came up with this concept of, of a billion sheets of age which is basically a cross u.s road trip that would highlight different people um in all the cities very much like souls of san francisco um and interview them and kind of write up those interviews on who the modern americans are right and what we why we called it a billion sheets of age was we noticed that in the u.s there's still a, a massive um a massive uh, separation in, 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 uh, between um, people of different colors. And 
now you're seeing it a lot, right? So like, what, three years later, and you're seeing things in Jackson blowing up, and you're seeing all these racial tensions, because it's not as far along as people claim to be. And just because Obama's president doesn't mean that, you know, there's all of a sudden just uh, perfect equality, right, that, that appeared in the U.S. Um, and what, I grew up in abroad. And I was so shocked that every time I came to the States, the first question that was asked was like, you're white though, right? Or like, well, no, I mean, I'm Arab, but like I grew up, in, I mean, what, what's white to you? Like, I guess I'm like, I'm whiter, right? But I'm Arab, like I'm, I'm Lebanese, but I grew up in Paris, so it's, you know. No, but you're white, because in the States, you're either white or you're black or you're Mexican. <laughs> if you're in California, right? There's no kind of in-between shade. Right. Um, and we really disagreed. I, I didn't understand why it was so polarized. And um, I don't know, at least the way we saw it, we said it didn't really matter, this whole like black and white. You're literally seeing the world of black and white. It was, it was everyone was one color, right? Everyone's a shade of beige and different tones within that color, within that beige, right? But what makes up your shade of beige was your interests or your actual cultural heritage. Um, and we created, we created a community around, around the color beige and everyone was a shade of beige and people would fill out these forms on the website with their interests and where they were from and what they um, wanted to do with their life. And then we would come up with a shade of beige for them and give them a little sticker that they could Instagram or put on their Facebook. And so my shade of beige was uh, hummus glitter bomb beige. And Skylar... Hummus glitter bomb? Yeah. <laughs> Like it's just like Lebanese, and then it just yeah, my character is very like kind of loud and multicolored and bright and unexpected, right? Spontaneous. Um, my friend Skylar was uh, Neo Pan Americano because Neo Pan is a type of film, and he's a photographer, and then Pan Americano just because he was from the states but tended to travel kind of across the world as well, and he's a bit of a caffeine freak. <laughs> like one sip of caffeine, and the guy's wired. So we we made up this whole you know, this, this whole community around it. And, and we had a blog that went across the country and followed people and followed places. And we wrote up our, our stories and had a great time. And, uh, and that was a project. And we didn't even end up finishing all the posts, mm -hmm. which is a bummer. We have all the photos and then life took over basically, you know, life took over afterwards. Um, he got a job offer in Los Angeles while we were on the road trip. And so we ended the trip in LA, uh, and I was heading on my next move, and life took over real quick from there. So, what were some of your favorite destinations on that trip? Oh, man, dude, America's beautiful. You know what I mean? It yeah. really is. And uh, northern Wyoming. <laughs> Huh. I've never heard Northern <laughs> Wyoming mentioned in any context <laughs> for any reason. And I will stay. So when you get to Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons, national forests, national parks, first of all, it's stunning. I mean, we were stopping every 10 minutes to take a photo. Just off the edge. You had to, you couldn't, you just, it was mind boggling. And I think another reason why it was so stunning was because Southern Wyoming, is like is really bad like it's just so empty like there's nothing in southern wyoming but jails and bad ones because people there were messages for escaped convicts while we're driving through wyoming so we were 
just so shocked and disappointed driving through Wyoming. Like, this is really, I mean, there's like, there's nothing. And there were just like, not, there, was, there was nothing. There were like bushes and apparently escaped convicts. Uh, and so I was, I had like written off the state, like it was just not worth it. And I remember like taking them out for about 30 minutes and then waking up and seeing the most beautiful sight of just mountains and trees and lakes and rivers. And I'm like, where the, where are we? Like, how did we end up in Narnia? And he's like, no, this is Wyoming, <laughs> just north. Um, so hands down, northern Wyoming's bomb. Montana has the most beautiful stars I've ever seen. I've heard a lot about Montana. Oh yeah, big sky country. Jackson Hole. Montana. Yeah, Jackson Hole. Mm-hmm. And I moved there in heartbeat. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so stunning. Um, Utah. Utah's pretty beautiful. Did you hit the salt flats? We hit the salt flats. We hit um, arches. We saw Zion. Um, it it was it was I mean really breathtaking and completely different. You know what I mean? You start you look at Montana and Wyoming and you look at the way Utah's built and it's it's a completely different kind of beautiful. It's just red and radiating, hmm. um, powerful. You know, a really powerful place. Uh, and then you've got, and then you've got good old California. Cali, baby. Cali, baby. When Skyler, after two months, we like crossed over the California border. We were so happy. I'm like, like my mom's from California, but I grew up in Paris, right? But I felt like I was home. Like we just got out of the car, took a photo. It was nighttime. It was like 2 a.m. We like kissed the earth and there's sequoias and there's redwoods and there's just like, it was northern, northern California. It's just I mean, at least I find it more beautiful. You know what I mean? I like mountains and trees more than oceans and stuff. Dude, I had the same experience when I drove here from Atlanta. Like, when I was moving, I drove cross-country with a friend. And an added benefit, or an added bonus that I think you probably would have liked is we only listened to music from the place we were in. Yeah. So, like, when we were leaving Atlanta, we were listening to Outkast and TLC, and then we got to New Orleans, which Mahalia Jackson, and then, like, Johnny Cash in Texas. And you really realize that, like, the place is the sound, you know? You're like, how do people create yeah. this, this sound? It's like they just live there, you know? And that's the sound that came through. Yeah. Um, we got to California, and we're, like, blasting the Beach Boys, and we were like, oh, I get it, you know? Because you're just like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like, yes. It's just feels, airy and yeah, like, just like, super high vibe yeah. and, like, sunny and just, like, all the fantasies. It's yeah, it makes a lot of sense. There's music that I would never listen to, but it just works. Okay, so I don't know if anyone listens to this podcast and they're American. I'm so sorry because I know he's a treasure. Um, but Bruce Springsteen is not my homeboy, right? So like I don't <laughs> I, like You should get a t-shirt. <laughs> I get all of New Jersey's gonna come here right now. But like there he's it's not my kind of music. I like rock, right? I like, I'm a blues, jazz, soul, funk girl at heart for sure. But that kind of rock, I just don't click with it. But there's nothing that sounds better when you're on a two lane dirt highway from Bakersfield to Palm Springs, right? Then Bruce Springsteen, blur. like it just makes sense. You right, know? yeah. Or bluegrass. Yeah. Skyler and I listened to <laughs> Bluegrass Junction on Sirius. Um, and we listened to it so often, we would write them emails 
We actually have a video. We never put, we put it out on Facebook, maybe, but we wrote the emails like, you guys are awesome. And like, this is working so perfectly. Like we're driving through the Grand Canyon right now, or we're driving through like wherever Mississippi or something. And the Bluegrass Junction was just what we listened to. And it worked so perfectly in that environment. Uh, and they gave us a shout out on the show, which was cool. <laughs> that was awesome, yeah. Um, yeah, I love listening to music that way. You know, I love listening to the texture of a place. You yeah. Know, when I'm talking to people. And that's even in the way they talk and the slang they use and the tone of voice. You know, all that is like frequency. It's like information. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather, you know, listen to music than like read a history book. You know, that's yeah. just my personal thing. And I feel like it's the same information that you're getting. You know, you're just getting it on a different level. You know, it's, um, what embodies that really well with talent? What's that? Um, Memphis. Mm. Memphis, Memphis, like, slayed us. It's, first of all, like, Stax Records, so it's the home, right, of this Motown sound. There's the funk element to it. There's a soul element to it. You've got Al Green, and you've got um, Isaac Hayes coming out of there, and you've got Booker T and the MGs coming out of there, mm. and it's, positive and funky and cool and what's crazy about memphis is it's totally frozen in time in my opinion i mean you why it looks like it's still in the 70s is memphis is where motown was no motown was, yeah, in, detroit. was in detroit yeah um, but you had a competitive motown sound um coming out of stacks records which okay. was based in, in memphis okay i see um and i mean you had marvin Gaye coming out of detroit but you had Otis Redding coming out of Memphis. No, Otis Redding died when he was like 26 or some shit like that. Is he part of the 27 club? I don't think he was 27. I think he was even younger, which is, that's crazy, Sad. yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crazy place. Al Green was part of that kind of sound too. We're like Memphis, definitely stuck in the 70s. And when you know about the history of what happened in Memphis and you know what happened to Martin Luther King, in Memphis, you totally understand it. I mean, people were telling us, like, don't worry. And there's this, and again, it had to do with kind of a project because they talked about racial divide, right? And inequality. And Memphis was, is, is still one of those cities where that's very much highlighted. And I, we didn't necessarily see it exercised while we were there. So we didn't see any sort of discrimination. But the more people we talked to, the more hostility that we felt towards kind of this, this, it was a beautiful place and there was segregation, but specifically because of the music that was coming out of it, you had a kind of colorblind appreciation for the same beauty, right? For this, this art form for music. And just because that's where Martin Luther King was shot, all of a sudden this racial divide kind of hit home and it hit the record labels and it hit the musicians that were playing together so they're brothers, you know what I mean? But all of a sudden now they're not brothers, right? All of a sudden now there's this huge, like, divide between them that people are wedging in. And I was sitting there going, you know, that was was 40 years ago that people get over, you know, you can move past it. But there's still the big light up hotel sign kind of watching over Memphis. And since everything's much lower, it's like the one thing that you see from a distance. So you're constantly reminded day by day of what happened there. And you, yeah, it makes sense. You get grumpy. Right. You know what I mean? It makes sense. You still hold that tension. Yeah. But it's a beautiful place. Yeah. Memphis is bomb. And the music, unreal. 
That's really interesting. I think it's really cool that you decided to do that project and engage with American kind of like racism in that way. Well, also, I'm American, right? I'm half American. Uh-huh. Um, and my parents got divorced right when 9 11 happened. Uh-huh. Right? So, 2001, I mean, they were starting to get divorced in 99, but really it started in 2001. And so, that's straight up Arabs versus Americans on every level. Uh-huh. Um, so, your mother is. So, my mom's from California. And, and my dad's Lebanese. Okay. But. I grew up in France, right? In a very Arabic household. So for me, like that connection to American culture was very limited. And I wanted a trip that was going to connect me more with what was going on in the States without having some polarizing issue of the fact that I'm Arab or I'm American and just to be American and see what it meant to be American in 2013, you know, and see what people's hopes were and what people's dreams were. And we saw entire towns shut down. You drive through entire towns where there's no... Movie theater, it's closed. There's maybe one general store that has a deli. And they're just completely abandoned. And there's so much space. And there's so much space. And you see all the things that are like wrong in cities like San Francisco. You have so many homeless people. And then you've got so much space that they can go into with so much potential and so many resources. And I wanted to see that. I wanted to connect with that. Um, and I think we did. I think we really, we really liked it. Bummer, we were too young to finish the full project in terms of writing it up, you know, but, right. um, but at least we fulfilled kind of what we were looking to, to do. Right on. So you said that life took over afterwards really quick. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? What, what was going on? Uh, I, right before the road trip, I'd come up with kind of a business idea um, with one of my best friends. And I had been planning to move to the Middle East and move to Dubai uh, to work in F&B. I was a baker, so I was making cakes and stuff in Paris before. So I was going to move to Dubai and like start my own restaurant, bakery. Um, and right before the road trip, I had been talking to a girlfriend of mine who was working with startups and working uh, with investors in New York. And she'd been telling me a little bit about what she was doing and about this concept called angel investing. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Like, I really thought not only was it just so cool to be able to have your hands in all these little cookie jars as an investor, but the fact that you're coming into a business so early on that it's still human and you're mentoring these people. So the founder is usually still the CEO and you're working together to make their dream happen. That concept was so cool to me. And... In the Middle East, what you currently have are a lot of people that have business ideas and a lot of people that have cash to put into those ideas, but you don't have the proper avenues for them to connect. And the people with the cash don't have the right education to be able to spot a good company. So they tend to just invest in their friends' companies or their family's companies, and they don't really care about returns. It's not an investment. It's just, you know, generosity. Right. And the entrepreneurs are then getting money from people that they know, so they're not, they don't feel like they have anything to really be accountable for. They don't have the right education to really strive for investment. So I saw this, it was perfect in terms of educating investors to make smart deals and then getting entrepreneurs to kind of up their game, right? To be able to get funded from smart investors. Um, so we came up with this little concept and while I was on my road trip, Chantal wrote the business plan, so my business partner wrote the business plan. 
and once I finished, I was back in Paris, packed up my stuff, and then moved to Dubai a week later. And we started what is now Wamina. As it's been a wild ride. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! <clears throat> yeah, it was crazy. It was really crazy. So that's been going since 2013. Yeah, we launched it no a year exactly to the day that I moved to Dubai. So I moved. Well, I moved to Abu Dhabi, um, which is only an hour away. But I moved to Abu Dhabi October 31st, and then we launched it November 1st, a year later. Mm. Um, which is consequently Chantal and Mai's like friendship anniversary, where we actually met um, back in 2008 on November 1st, which we did not realize until like right after we launched, and we were calculating how far we'd come in our friendship and so on, and then we're like, oh. Yeah. That's cool. A lot Cosmic. Of, a lot of positivity and synchronicity in yeah. the union. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely uh, maybe wink from the universe that we're going in the right direction. Right. So where were you living before Abu Dhabi? In Paris. Okay. I grew up in Paris. Uh, I spent a quick semester in Madrid for college, but I, I've always been in Paris. It's kind of a broad question, but I just don't know much about Abu Dhabi. What's it like? Uh, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, compared to San Francisco, <laughs> it's, it's got nothing, but it's, it's, there's a downtown and it's a city just like any other city, um, high rises and, you know, internet and whatever cars. So it's, it's a major, it's a, it's a metropolitan city, but what's crazy is Abu Dhabi is actually a link, a linking of a few different islands off the coast of the United Arab Emirates. So you've got these amazing beaches and marshlands that are protected, uh, that are like a natural habitat for sea turtles. So, so it's pretty cool. Like I went from living in an apartment in Paris, uh, in the city, you know, without a lot of green or parks or kind of wild nature other than the main river that goes through the city, uh, to living about a 10 minute walk away from the beach where... There are two hotels, but the hotels can't even develop on the sand because sea turtles mate and breed on the sand uh, and hat and their eggs hatch every year. And, you know, it's pretty cool. Like, there's dolphins in the water and the water's turquoise and the sand is white powder. <laughs> it's insane. You know, it's super, it's, it's, it's just awesome. Um, quiet. I live in... Like Desperate Housewives territory, right? Like Wisteria Lane, <laughs> Wisteria Lane shit. Um, with two of my friends, with two of my best friends, but we live by the, by the beach. That's like irreplaceable. So, what's the demographics of the place like ethnically and like age wise? Where we live, or like the country ish. Mm-hmm. I mean, where we live is like all young couples with families, right? It's in, it's like a gated community. <laughs> that's such a, it, we're, we're the odd ones out you know we're like the single girls on Zadiat is what they <laughs> um, but everyone else is our age like you've got a super young population in the Middle East in general specifically in the UAE as well mm-hmm. and people from everywhere which I really like I've always been used to being surrounded by international people and if you really want to go somewhere that's representative of the whole world, you know, Dubai's not bad. Like you walk around in the malls and you'll see 
locals, right, in traditional dress. So you've got some people wearing abayas and kenduras, and then you've got a Japanese woman wearing a kimono in the mall, and you've got people from uh, uh, India wearing saris, and you've got people um, from Africa wearing some sort of, like, local colorful dress as well, and you're sitting there, like, having your, you know, like a smoothie <laughs> at the mall, <laughs> and you see people from all over the place that are genuinely representative of what their culture is or what their culture, um, you know, requires them to look like, for example. So it's not like you go to a shopping mall in England or you go to a shopping mall here, and even if they're ethnic, if, ethnically from other places, they're not dressed in traditional dress. Everyone dresses the same, right? We are all rocking jeans and T-shirts and dresses and sweaters and hoodies and stuff. They're, everyone really dresses totally differently and I like it like they're still holding it's a new city like people are still holding on to their cultures right yeah that's cool I mean personally that's why I like living in cities yeah. I think that's the point is to experience as much culture as possible mm-hmm. yeah you have an incredibly vibrant persona and <laughs> energy it's awesome you're very expressive with your whole body and <laughs> when you're talking I think I think that's the Arab side right we tend to use our hands a lot it also aligns with being super clumsy like you're, not, you're lucky that there are no direct bottles in my <laughs> arm span be careful with that one. yeah you're good so far i'm okay um so i'd rather guess your sign than ask but i feel like you could be an aries or like an aquarius feel very like fiery and also airy to me mm. what's your sign Aquarius. You yeah. nailed it. Yeah. Um, right on, let's high five. Yeah. Um, what are you? I'm an Aries. You have uh, Aryan eyebrows. Oh, really? Yeah, like like ram-like eyebrows like me, you know? See, oh, you, so I, I don't know that much about um, astrology. Do some of the people represent their signs, at least it comes out in physical features? Supposedly, yeah. Supposedly, so we like all Pisces do. Pisces are going to have big eyes? Um, yeah, I think that's part of it, yeah. Because you have different attributes and different strengths, and like mm-hmm. part of receiving that energy is like the way you receive it is like through your eyes, you know. Leos are gonna have wild hair, strong maybe, characters. Maybe in Maine, yeah, I don't know. It's funny. Most of my friends tend to fall. Uh, all my female friends pretty much clustered uh, in end of July, August, so they're all Leos, and then I've got you know. So you play Scorpio well with friend. you play well with fire. I play well with fire. Um, as long as they're girls, I can't date. I can't date Leo's apparently. My sister's really into this stuff, so she's given me a crash course mm-hmm. to help. It's like a preventative <laughs> crash course. Like, I don't want you to get your heart broken, so I'm just going to tell you now. I told you so. All right. <laughs> well, there's nothing like firsthand experience. Mm-hmm. And how old are you? 25. Okay. So, have you heard of the Saturn return? The Saturn return? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, this is a, a brief astrology lesson that I learned while I was going through my Saturn return, but your star signs, you know, your sun sign, your moon sign, your rising sign are all the position of the planets, right? Right. So like you're born and the sun is in like Aries Mm -hmm. or the sun is in Leo. Right. Right. So your planetary chart is like a specific snapshot of the universe at that time. So Saturn is at a specific place when you're born. Let's say Saturn is here. Mm -hmm. Right. So Saturn takes 27 to like 31 years, depending on your particular energy, to like orbit around the place where it was when you were born. Okay. Saturn's influence is limiting. 
So when Saturn comes back around, that like marks the end of like act one of your life. Act one of your life is all about That's so interesting. figuring things out, like kind of like what the fuck is happening on earth? Like what's it about? You know, like you've never done things before, so you don't know what's going to happen. Like you never had a drink before, so you don't know what being drunk is. And maybe you haven't had relationships with people, so you don't know how your energies kind of like interact with each other. Interesting. But by the time you're that age, you've basically had every energetic experience that you're going to. At least you have some context for it. So act two is a conscious part of your life, right? So it's like when you make this choice, then things really go because it's like you are a creator of your own experience. And that's why people always talk about like life starting to speed up. And it is. It's like what I was telling you with Prince, right? Yeah. I decided I wanted to listen to all of these Prince CDs. And the next thing I know, my friend Eric is, you know, an obsessive Prince fan. He gives me a ton of gigs of Prince music. And now he sends me videos. But that's like an exemplification of the universe being like, okay, this is what you chose. Yeah. Here it is, right? So that's why it's so important to be conscious. And so what's the cycle of Saturn? Like, what do you mean? So when you, you're saying at the age when Saturn's done a full circle, right? Mm-hmm. How long does it take Saturn to do a full circle? 27 to 31 years. Okay. Right. It's different every orbit? Well, it's, you know, it's just not exact, you know? Okay. Um, and it's also different for different people's energies, like the way Saturn affects them, mm-hmm. right? So like, like Saturn might be right there for you. And that may have a tremendous effect on you based on your constitution. Whereas for me, it doesn't affect me until it's like directly. Okay. It's just different for everybody. Um, It also depends on, you know, what direction you're already faced in your life. Right. So Saturn's the point of it is to redirect you towards what you're actually supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Right. So all the things that are not serving your life, you know, you have to let go of or otherwise you're like, the monkey with a banana trying to get out of the prison, right? Like, it's free except for that banana that it won't let go. It's like, <laughs> let go of the banana, there's more out there, right? It's a very specific <laughs> reference. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but could you see what I was talking about? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's a really interesting time. I mean, mine personally was pretty challenging because I'm, I'm hard-headed and I'm an Aries, so... Like what your sister was saying about like I'm trying to save you, mm-hmm. um, these situations. It's like, actually, you know what? I also think it was because um, my dad was not present. So I feel like all the lessons that I've learned have been like I'm learning them myself. It's yeah. not any like sort of guidance in my way of like engaging with things, being like, you know, like yeah, hard headed, head butting it, and just being like, let's let's like bump up against this thing and see what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. But ultimately I feel like that's like the best way to learn firsthand experience because then you know something. Yeah, hundred percent. As long as it's not insanely harmful, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess personally I feel like all things are opportunities for, for growth if you can like take that perspective. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean I immediately think of something that that, that you don't need first hand experience to, to to tell you that trying certain drugs are bad for you, right? Or drinking obscene amounts or excess of anything can be really bad for of you. Of course, yeah, balance is crucial. Yeah, balance is crucial. Right. But it reminds, like, when I was 21, 
I freaked out that I was 21. I had a proper, like, fifth life. You know, not even quarter-life crisis. Like, one fifth-life crisis. Because I knew that I was all of a sudden at an age where most experiences had happened to me. So I had lost someone. I had loved someone. I had... Uh, been educated, I had had alcohol, so I was drunk already, or I had friends that were too drunk that I tried to help, or I had, um, you know, uh, traveled on my own, and so I had experienced kind of a good, solid handful of the basic things that you need to experience in your life. And at th that point, I can no longer claim ignorance. All of a sudden, I was 21, which is still a kid. Like, if I see a 21-year-old, you know, child, please. <laughs> but uh, you can't claim ignorance at that point. You're completely taking responsibility for your actions because you've done this before. Mm -hmm. You can't act surprised. You can't, you can't say, oops, you know, I should, I, I did not expect that party that I went to last night. To, have, to end up as wild as it did and now I need an extension on my paper you know you, right. were, you can't expect to go out and have a good time you know and then not go to the gym right. and expect to not get those freshman 15s <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah so it seems like you had that epiphany already about <laughs> your sad return maybe yours came a bit earlier maybe but I uh, that doesn't mean I completely acted on it it's just I was just aware of it yeah, well, I think that's what your 20s are for. Yeah. For, like, trying things so that you can have that first-hand experience mm -hmm. because, you know, what someone else doesn't like doesn't necessarily resonate with you, you know? Yeah. Um, so it sounds like you're on your path, though, with Wamina. It feels right, is all I can say. You know, I, I don't claim to know the ways of the universe. But when things align, when things go well, it doesn't mean that you stop working. It's just if things align so beautifully, then you know you're, you're doing the right thing. Whatever you're doing, you're just doing it right and just keep going and put your head down and keep working, right? And the world will kind of offer it mm -hmm. to you. The world blessed me with my best friend who has challenged me in so many ways and is the main reason why Wamina is now legitimate. So I can talk I can talk the game and I can make Wamina sound all shiny and beautiful, but the only reason that there's the actual content behind it to back it up is because this girl pushed us to get it there. And and I don't think things are working out for it. So I'm not questioning, I'm just going and trying to get over my own issues yeah. uh, in accepting growth and success. Well, I think that's very humble and almost self-deprecating perspective that you have about it. But Why is it self-deprecating? Uh, because I think you, you have a lot of like vitality and vibrance, you know, so you can't give it all to her, right? Like it's, it's a combination. It's like, yeah. is hydrogen more important than oxygen? And the H2O, are they both? You need them both. Right? You need them both. That's very true. But and her and I complete each other incredibly well. Yeah. 
we're so similar in so many ways and our differences are so perfectly aligned mm-hmm. that they've allowed for for phenomenal things to be created. Yeah. And it's definitely been both of us. Right. Um, but I guess I guess I admire her so much. Yeah. That I give her all the gratitude in the world for yeah. having pushed me as much as I did. And and the ridiculous thing is she'll look at me and she'll be like, oh my God, Lisa, stop. Like you, you, I love you. You know, you're amazing. And like you, we could have been like, you know, we just, we both admire each other so much. It sounds like a beautiful partnership. It, I swear to God, it is. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, really yeah. lucky. And the fact we were able to live together and share a car for most of the years and start a company together and have the same friends <laughs> and we're still good. Like, you know what I mean? I know I can get married now. Like, I never knew if marriage was good for me, and I still don't know if it is. But I could I could do so well in a marriage. If all I have to do is love a person and live with them, <laughs> like, by all means. You know what I mean? Easy segue there. <laughs> How's your love life? It's a mess. You said everything's about balance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can't have everything, so my love life is a total mess. I'm in my 20s. Nobody in the 20s knows what the hell they're doing most of the time. And I'm so focused on Wumina and keeping myself in check and healthy and balanced. Um, that a love life doesn't, isn't fitting. So a mess as in like non-existent because you're putting all your energy into work or a mess because you feel like you haven't developed the same skill set that you have developed for your work? It's a really interesting question. No, a mess because I tend to fall for people that live very far away from me. Hmm. And that is probably because I like people who share some sort of similar appreciation for travel and opportunity. And even if they're completely opposite to me, right? They might be introverts and I prefer introverts. But yeah, they'll end up living in Swaziland. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, Or St. Kitts and Nevis. And it's super inconvenient, to say the least. Yeah, I feel you. <laughs> um, How's your love life? My love life. My love life is great. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, doing this project, I think I've always deeply connected with people. So I'm an Aries sun, Libra moon, Libra rising. Mm-hmm. Libra is all about partnership. It's the we you know, mm-hmm. Aries is the I, but it's like this intensity and Libra is like charm and beauty. Aries is like fire and intensity, like entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. So I bring this like fiery intensity to the partnership and connection. Yeah. Like, so especially with the work I do, it's very easy for me to connect with people deeply, like quickly. Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel like to know someone is to love them. Right. Like if you really see someone can understand all the facets that make them who they are and it's just my nature to like focus on what I like about a person you know like that's how I begin like 90% mm-hmm. of my interactions you know I'm like 
like your shirt, you know. Like, <laughs> you have pretty eyes, you know. It's just like the way I keep my vibes high. Yeah. And you build this like energetic like bubble, right? And a person has the opportunity to like expand it by reflecting back your your sentiment, mm-hmm. right? And it's like human beings are hardwired to mirror each other, right? So a lot of the time I walk down the street and like people smile at me and they like don't know why. You know, <laughs> it's because I'm fucking cheesing out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's great. You know, I feel like I'm in love right now. Um, the thing is, is I'm learning is like, these are reflections, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything is, in my perspective, like this holographic reflection of self. Yeah. So the qualities that I'm attracted to in other people are things that I want to develop in myself. So um, since I am attracted to so many people and so many women, it's like, I think it was, it used to be more difficult for me to be like, well, how do I, like, I like this person, I like this person, I like that person, like, how do I manage my time, how do I manage my energy? Like everyone. Exactly. You're going to see the goodness in, in everyone around you. Exactly. So now it's, like, more about, um, I guess in a lot of my life, it's, I'm very intentional and, like, try to manifest things, but in the relationship category, I am more, like, I'll take what comes to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I have things that I like and prefer, um, and if I feel a certain way about somebody, then I, like, make that very clear, Mm -hmm. Um, and then if they kind of gravitate into my field, then we can, like, build something together, Mm -hmm. Um, and otherwise, I try to develop the qualities internally that I'm attracted to about the person. I mean, don't they say, uh, when you fall in love, you're really falling in love with yourself? Yeah, and it feels fucking amazing, you know? Yeah. There's um, there's still a balance with that, though. You know? You never know what's what's really the one that's going to last. Do you, are you, are you, why do you love them, right? Do you love them because of who they are and you just appreciate the beautiful creature and cluster of cells that is, you know, that is in front of you for everything that they are? Or... Do you like how they make you feel? Or do you like how you make them feel? Or do you like how you are around them? Or do you like how you can both be completely separate and then still together? Yeah, and I definitely think about all those things. I've been through a lot of relationships and had a lot of heartbreak, a lot of falling in love. And a lot of heartbreak. And it's not like an awe thing because... It's an awe thing because look at your eyes, man. Right, but it's like... <laughs> like those eyes should never be sad. Well, it's all about perspective, right? Like, pain is not the enemy, you know? Like, heartbreak is not the enemy because mm-hmm. it's the same as, like, working out your muscles, right? You go to the gym, you lift weights, they rip apart your muscles, they expand, and they grow back stronger. Mm-hmm. The next day, you do the same thing. You rip apart your muscles, and they grow back stronger. And, like, that's what's been happening to my heart. You know, my heart is an extraordinarily (laughs) strong uh, vehicle, you know, for like spiritual energy. And um, everyone recognizes that. Mm -hmm. Everyone can feel it. Like, Mm -hmm. that's what the heart of this project is. It's like me shining that light and being vulnerable and allowing myself to be seen and vulnerable and broken and healed and stronger. Mm -hmm. And like that continual process. 
And that like power is like very palpable. Yeah. And in doing that, you're inviting other people to do the same. Exactly. And in cities, I think it's more, it's more frequent that people fight vulnerability, not just in cities, but everywhere, right? We spend our lives fighting the fact that we're vulnerable or fighting our vulnerabilities and trying to open up and be honest and await judgment from the other person, right? Judgment, either acceptance or rejection yeah. for whatever your vulnerability is, your weakness might be. Right. Um, that's something really beautiful. That's something most people need to strive for. Yeah, I think it goes back to just like communicating perspective and communicating your own feelings, right? Mm. So if I say to someone like, I love you, right? Or I'm interested in you, like I'm talking about myself. Right, I'm talking about my feelings. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing as me saying I'm hot, or I, I like spaghetti. Right? <laughs> like, it's not a statement about the thing; it's a statement about myself. So yes. it's like um, basically the point of communicating, and people usually do it well, except not in relationships, is to put what your thoughts are in front of you so that you can see them clearly, and the other person can see them mm-hmm. clearly, and then you can make a decision or have a conversation about yeah. what's out there. Right, but you have to get it out first. Right, so I'd be like hey, like, I'm interested in you, like, I would like to get to know you better, blah, 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 and that person is like, great, I feel the same way, or I'm involved, or I don't feel that way about mm-hmm. you, and you're like, okay, like, now I know how I can spend my time, I don't have to, like, yeah, worry it doesn't have to be in my head about what am I going to do, or, like... But some people enjoy that. Some people really get off on the what-if, right? Because sometimes the fantasy is way better than the reality. So you like playing with the what-if and what if I walked up to them or what if I made them something or what if I told them this. What would happen? What would happen if they said yes? What would happen if they said no but they meant yes and they, you know, then I had to chase them for a bit and then we got together and what happened if... That's the, like that's they, the power. Yeah, I like daydreaming too, to an to a extent. But my daydreaming is more like visualization right mm. so it's like you're manifesting yeah you're manifesting like activating your your like third eye and you know in a way it's like if you can describe it like clearly then you're already like having the experience mm-hmm. you know like you're having the experience um and you're inviting other people to kind of like have it with you and if mm-hmm. they decide to have it with you that's when it happens in this like third dimensional space you know in the we in the we yeah yeah yeah, it's um, it's 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 so important. People learn to communicate their own thoughts. I think that's one of the biggest issues that I just encounter with my friends all the time. Is I learned early on communication is so key, and you have to communicate, and you have to talk, and you have to communicate, and express, and explain bluntly. Right? I like you, or I'm interested in you, <laughs> and it's terrifying. But so many things are solved just in being honest, and. I mean, the number of friends of mine who have so many problems that aren't problems and are only problems to them, you know, are uh, because they're not communicating. They're not going up to the guy and saying, hey, listen, when you said see you, did you mean like actually you want to see me? Or did you, am I just reading into it and being, you know, over like over analytical and thinking maybe you don't want to see me and it's just something cold or when you put a period at the end of that sentence, you know what I mean? And this happens like across gender. This is not like uh, a gender issue. This is just my friends that, what do you think she means? Like if she says this and like, I don't, she asked me the other day, you know, how I thought 
our relationship was going and I didn't really know what she meant. Like, did she expect me <laughs> to want, you know what I mean? And, and all it takes is you telling that person, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> and then being like okay great I probably don't understand what I'm saying either let's, let's figure it out in the we space uh-huh. 100% key to happiness so you're pretty tapped in <laughs> tapped in that's great yeah do you know what you're looking for in a partner yeah but sometimes what you want is not what you need so I'm also very aware of that I know what I'd like what would you like I don't I have a very American sense of what a relationship should be. And when I say that, I mean, I always related to the concept of a partnership in a relationship. That's not necessarily the case in a lot of other cultures in the world. Um, a relationship is not a partnership. A relationship is either an agreement or it's uh, an exchange of certain services, right? You are a good wife to your husband and he therefore will do duties that makes him a good husband to his wife. Um, but I'm really hell bent on that partner in crime, you know, fantasy that we complement each other in the best ways and we challenge each other in the ways that the other person needs to be challenged, um, where you hate it, but you know, it's good for you, you know? And, uh. I really appreciate that. I mean, that would that's that's something uh, that's really really difficult to find, and to find people on, that are able to offer that to each other on top of already being compatible in basic basic values and, and qualities, you know, that you that are just so important. Like on top of all of that, um, that would be awesome. Let's see if if. Pie brings it my way. <laughs> <laughs> so you, that was a kind of an abstract answer. Do you have specific <clears throat> attributes that you are looking for that you're attracted to? Yeah. Um, but nothing, again, like nothing is... Well, no, there are non-negotiables. Never mind, I'm going to lie. <laughs> it's like, nothing's a non-negotiable. I'm like, no, actually... What is a non-negotiable? Um... A non-negotiable is someone that isn't curious. Like, the most important thing is to be a curious person, curious about everything around you and people around you. And you don't have to be super extroverted and go up to the person and ask them about themselves. But you have to be curious. You have to question authority and you have to question existence and you have to question construct right and and want to explore and search and i love i love that curiosity that's something that speaks so deeply to a person's character that it's almost it's almost not negotiable for me mm-hmm. um another probably no, yeah, there's not negotiable uh someone who's who chooses to be ignorant I understand it. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And alongside, you know, ignorance comes a whole slew of other negative things, you know, and, and um, 
I guess that kind of goes hand in hand with curiosity though, right? Is you choose to be ignorant, you choose to not know something or not be faced with knowledge or information or um, evidence for something. Yeah, I think those definitely go hand in hand. Yeah. Uh, but those are those are some pretty big things. I mean, again, it's all character. You know, it's not like li- I, you go through my list of exes and they all look completely different and they're all from all over the place and they all have different interests and some are introverts and some are extroverts and some are, you know, Aries and some are Leos and some are Sagittarians and some are Scorpios. and There's three fire signs. Mm, was it really? Which one? Aries. Leo or Sagittarius are all flyers on here. And Scorpio, I mean, you know, Scorpio. I know. I know. Well, I don't know. See? Yeah. I don't know how much I believe this handbook, this this astrological handbook, because there's always exceptions to rules. Of course. So, I can, I, I get along with the fire signs really well, apparently. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? You really have to ask that question. <laughs> so, here's the thing. <laughs> I mean, I used to think extrovert or introvert meant that you like to hang out with people or hang out like alone, and that's not what it means. So it means you can be an outgoing introvert, introvert which yeah. is what I am. Like I love to connect with people, but when I need to like recenter, I do that alone. Yeah, like, I have my ritual, I have my tea, I have my like mm-hmm. incense, I have my sound bowls, and I like zero in. Yeah, and then I go back out, mm-hmm. and I'm like, yo, <laughs> shots in the house. Dijon's in the motherfucking house. <laughs> it's my birthday. It's also San Francisco day. Exactly. <laughs> so now, with that explanation, I'll ask again. Have you heard of the Myers-Briggs? Mm-hmm. Okay. What are you? What's your Myers-Briggs? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember. I don't remember. Okay. Um, well, yeah, so the Myers-Briggs basically will differentiate between an introvert and extrovert. And uh, there's a percentage, so it's not finite and it can't change. I'm definitely an expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, difference being where where you draw your energy from, right? right? I am such an empath and an expert that it's even bad for me sometimes. I will take in other people's energies, and I have to consciously remove myself from a situation where that's going to be a, a, a negative, where it's going to have a negative effect on me. Totally. So you know, there's some people that are just super nervous, like all the time, like the tiniest little things in the world make them nervous. And it was raining outside, and I didn't answer those two emails, and I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, those those people, I can't physically be around. I get it. Yeah. I have to. I have to put a distance, not because they're bad people, but because my body just reacts in a way that I start getting nervous for no reason. Yeah, the disharmonic vibrations. Completely. So yeah, I totally get that, and that's part of the reason I work so hard to create. A project where I don't have to interact with anyone I don't want to. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and it's not it's not even a judgmental thing because I don't think they're bad people. They're just disharmonic vibrations. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is is people are you know not stagnant like they're they're, they're constantly in motion. Mm-hmm. So I also try to have a willingness to energetically feel somebody again, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because just because they were this way six months ago or even last week doesn't mean they're going to be the same. Yeah, same energetic space, right? So you, every time it's like, Whoa, you know, like, how does it feel, right? And a huge part for me is just like, like looking someone in the mm-hmm. eyes and like, what does that feel like? That's why it's like dating apps are so crazy to me because it's like, what are you looking at? Like, what are you connecting with, right? I can't even, don't get me started on dating apps. Yeah, I need to like feel, <laughs> feel a person and then just like 
talk and you don't, it doesn't even really matter what you talk about. It's just about feeling the energy and being like, is the vibe there? Is it not there? Yeah, I think there's so much to be said in that empty space when you first look at someone, anyone, right? On the street. But if there's a connection, if there's something, doesn't have to be necessarily a romantic connection, but there's so much to be said in that first glance. And these dating apps just completely remove it. You know, and nobody's going on Tinder trying to find a connection. You know, they're trying to find convenience. Well put. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's like my favorite thing in the world to walk around. Um, just kind of like looking for connections. Just staring thing. people in the eyes? Basically, yeah. <laughs> you should and do same, that in New York. See what happens. I've done it, and I'm going to New York in October, so we'll do it again. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, people are, are like, cool, you know, and there's, like, you can see who's available, mm-hmm. who's present, like, yeah. who wants to engage, um, and there are just so many people I talk to. I remember when I was, like, like 12, and, like, there'd be people, I would go to, like, festivals and see people, and then be, like, too nervous to go talk to them. I would be like so pissed about it for like you know an hour afterwards. I'd be like, why didn't I talk to that person? Like I'm curious. It's an hour of your life ruined because you could have just exactly walked up to them. I've overcome that now. Good. Um, But yeah, there's just so much out there. You know, it's like instead of like paying for consumption for for art, you know, I can just like dip into someone's world and like do this. You know, and it's like entertainment for me. You know, it's like getting to know somebody. It's just so expansive mm-hmm. to me it's yeah it's and it does nothing but good right either you get to know someone more and you appreciate them more mm-hmm. or you understand something about them but that makes you not like them in which case you also <laughs> no but you've also made your mind up about something and so you have right. more of an answer clarity clarity mm-hmm. um, but it's yeah, it's definitely worth it. You know what's a funny story about Tinder? When I did this Billion Shades of Beige project with Skylar, Tinder had just come out. And when we were in the road, he we would be pulling up to a new city and he'd be swiping on his phone. And I would just see these photos and I was like, well, like Skylar, like, what the hell is that? And he's like, oh, dude, it's this thing called Tinder. And I'm just seeing like what the people look like in all the different cities. And at the time, it didn't necessarily, it, it wasn't known as a hookup app. Right. Right when Tinder came out, which is only, you know, what, two years ago, it was not known as a, as a hookup app immediately. It was still pretty, like, innocent, and people would be on the app getting to know each other or just talking. And I, I was like, that sounds cool. Like, I'll do that, and I'll do that on this road trip. It's awesome. It seems like a great way to meet people in cities we don't know. Right. So we both downloaded Tinder and we set it open to both and we made the age somewhat not creepy. So it's not like we were hanging out with people way younger or people over 21, right? Right, right? But like up to about 33. So we were still in the same vibe and we made our, our pages extremely unsexy, right? So my, my first picture was like me at the bakery with a bunch of cakes and my friends and like a big turtleneck sweater. Like it was just... Not sexy at all. And the first line was, you know, road tripping across the States. And we plugged our website. And 
said any recommendations or tips are much appreciated. Uh-huh. And it was amazing. People were responding. People were super enthusiastic. I love, oh my God, saw your website. It's so cool. That seems like a perfect way to use Tinder. Oh my God. And I don't think people would use it now. I think people would be like, oh, what a waste of my time. But at the back in the day, like two years ago, it was still for a way for people to meet. And we meet up with people from Tinder. And it wasn't like a date or like a hookup or anything, but there are people from those cities, from Atlanta, uh, from Charleston, right? From Dallas that would show us around and give us tips. And some of them were like, oh, well, I'm in Dallas now, but I'm from Boulder. So if you go to Boulder, you should totally make it for this weekend because this stuff is going on. And my friend is actually like totally open to hosting you guys. Here's their numbers. And people were so open and cool. And that was Tinder for us. And then, you know, the summer ended and I deleted the app and uh, and now Tinder is Tinder. Now Tinder is Tinder. <laughs> um, all right, so we got work, we got relationships. What do you like to do in your free time when you're not working? I've only recently been rediscovering free time. So my free time was very limited. I lived in the house that I worked in, so my office was just in the house with my best friend, with two of my best friends, and one of them is working on the same project with me. So we were constantly pushing each other to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Like starting a company really takes a toll on you and people don't advertise that. Free time was a really thing. It was sleep. Uh, I would go out, I would go out for work. I would go out for work reasons, so I took my skill set and I took what I love doing, which is getting to know people and talking to people, and I abused the hell out of it to the point that I'm just exhausted. And uh, I didn't have a lot of free time, really, to do anything. I mean, what we would do, what we would do, what I would do, uh, is eventually go crazy and need some sort of creative outlet. So I would just put down all the screens and step away from them and take a few deep breaths and then go paint a wall in my house. Hmm. (laughs) Or... You know, we bought like Ikea's children furniture and we would paint the furniture, like children's chairs. I didn't know what I was going to do with them. And they're not just sitting in my house. Like we gave one away and then the others were like, maybe we'll use them as shelves or it's just, it's, we just did things and it was very meditative and you're completely taking your mind off of distractions and screens and you're just focusing on these tiny little dots and you're painting things or it's very physically expressive so I'm climbing ladders and I decided to paint a honeycomb pattern on my wall right or recently I decided to add like 150 fake plants around the bottom wall of our office why they were on sale (laughs) (laughs) they were like under a dollar each plant at Ikea so I bought 150 of them and just decided to do my friends accept me for who I am. <laughs> and my housemates and my best girlfriends let me, you know, do what I want with the house, which is great. So they don't really mind. They might join me, but you know, at least it gets in her weird moods at two o'clock in the morning where I feel like I have to spray paint the hallway entrance. Uh, and that's, that's a lot of what I do. Right on. Um, yoga is great too, but I don't have the time. I need to make time. I have the time somewhere. 
I just need to sacrifice, let's say, an hour from my computer and allocate it to yoga. Yeah, a friend of mine was talking about like how important like language is when we talk about like things like that. So it's like, don't say I don't have time. Say that like this is not a priority to me, mm. right? Because you have time. You just choose to spend totally. it in other ways. Are like when people say I can't, right? Don't say you can't. You say you don't want. Like I can't make it tonight. I'm like, right. no, you can't. You just don't want to. Right. Which is fine. Right. But how much better would it be if you were honest with yourself about right. why you're not doing something? People don't like to say no. Yeah. It's a strange thing when people hear the word no. You know, like, what do you mean? I feel like that's why people in California are super, like, watery with their answers. Like, it's always a maybe, or like, let's check in. Or like, people don't really commit to doing things because yeah. there's so much stimulation. Um, I think I, we say no. And people really appreciate that. Because yeah. in the Middle East, they don't say no. It's rude, right? So, okay, that's great. I love it. <laughs> Welcome back, you know, in a week or, okay, I'll see you then. Great. That sounds up. And then they disappear hmm. and they're addict to get a hold of. And we never ghosting. want to be. Huh? Ghosting. Ghosting? Yeah. Yes. So I've learned this term of ghostage. Yeah. Ghosting people. Uh, they ghost. They ghost a lot. Yeah. Ghosting's lame. They do that in LA. <laughs> I've seen. Not my friends. My friends are awesome. Mm-hmm. But uh, my mom would tell me that the reason she moved out of LA 30 plus years ago was because she would make dinner reservations with her friends and nobody would show up. That's so rude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like imagine if someone did that right now. Yeah. They didn't have cell phones, right? So you call your friends like, yo, I'll see you at dinner seven, see you at dinner seven, see you at dinner seven. Nobody shows up and you're chilling and you're supposed to be okay with that. Yeah, it's pretty lame. Oh my God. If people don't text back. Have you seen, there's like memes that say people only check their phones an average of every second, every seven seconds. <laughs> So don't feel bad if they don't text you back. <laughs> you didn't see it. No. Text back. That's funny. Um, I feel like you're really into music. Is that true? Yeah. What kind of music do you like? Uh, some grandpa music, my friends call it. <laughs> I like soul. I like funk. I like blues. I like jazz. I like calming music uh, even well and then you got like the 80s rock right so I love my Aerosmith and I'll get into some awesome 90s early 2000s R&B some D'Angelo stuff right but that's still under the soul bracket you fuck with Frank Ocean semi mm. I really I, honestly I think the guy I don't know him obviously, but I think he's the sweetest dude. Like, he just looks like just an amazing, emotional, sweet, kind guy. So I kind of want to support him, whatever he does. <laughs> but um, there's some albums that are just not my deal. And I'm, I can't, I, I want to. So you got some Frank Ocean tunes that are amazing, but then you've got a whole album where you're sitting there and you're just I, it just it's not clicking with you but that's their expression so <laughs> let them keep doing it for sure anyone who has a creative career I greatly greatly admire mm-hmm. my brother has my brother's a music producer and my sister's in film and I'm like that takes guts man that takes courage older younger older both of them yeah yeah what's their ages my brother's 
30 in a couple days. Okay. And my sister's 31. All right. What kind of film stuff does your sister do? Uh, she... She... Well, she works on more on the admin side now, right? But she's an actress and a writer and a, a director. And so she has these scripts that she's been piling up. And hopefully she'll come out with a... She'll start focusing on, on her own movie uh, in a few months, which is really exciting for us. But it tends to be... She has movies with a message. You know, she's extremely well-read. She's extremely intelligent, very curious. Um, brings up a lot of political issues or social issues. And they're not necessarily documentaries, but they'll, they'll have uh, an underlying message uh, that, she, that she wants to spread. So, I'm, I mean, I'm excited to see her kill it. It's awesome. Yeah. Good for her. She needs it, you know, when you look at someone and you can just see that there's, they're internalizing so much creativity that needs, that needs uh, a way to get out. Right. I want to see her let it out. Sounds like she's on her way. Yeah. And it sounds like you have some creative impulses too, but just, they're kind of personal, I guess. Like you just might paint a, paint a wall or something. Like <laughs> I just might paint a wall. Yeah, yeah I have. I have creative, and we're all really creative. We get that um, from my mom, for sure. And Your mom is an actress. Yeah. yeah. She's an actress, and she models, and she was a ballet dancer. She still, she dances. She's the first one on the dance floor party, and the last one off. Like, she's, she's amazing. She used to paint. I've got my aunts that used to act and paint and dance. and uh, You know, we definitely get that from her. My stuff is more... Yeah, it's more personal. I don't feel the need to be like to share my creativity with people. I like to. So I got super into slam poetry when I was 17. And I and I was terrified about sharing it, but I did it and then I you enjoy it. You kinda like the performance element of it. But it's more for me. You know, I write for me all. I've now gotten the confidence where I will say certain poems to friends and things. Um, but yeah, I kind of paint my house. So if you ask me to build something, I love building and creating and using my hands and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but my brother and sister definitely have crafts that are meant to be enjoyed by masses. Right. And they have the talent to, to really capture people with what they're doing. So. Mm -hmm. Cool. It sounds like you're pretty tight with your family. Yeah, yeah, we're super close. Yeah, I'm mad lucky. Like, can I knock on wood? With your, uh, is your pops creative too? In his own way, he's like a master charmer. He's a business guy, super savvy, master charmer. Like everyone loves Basam, and they just love the way that he is. And his character, I mean, he's got that energy when he, and my mom has it too. And I mean, I'll even say, like, my siblings have it. Like, I look at it and there's this energy where it's like they walk into a room and they, people just will look. Like, there's something about that person, you know? And my dad can easily dominate the entire room's conversation uh -huh. and have people, like, crying with laughter. You feel like you have that? I don't know if I have that. I know that, I know that they have it. 
I don't, I don't think I'd go as far as to say it, you know, like, oh my God, I totally, like, <laughs> you know, but, um, I'm loud. <laughs> like, I'm not, I don't know if I capture a shit. I just know that I am pretty loud mm-hmm. and outgoing and in social situations, I'm quite fearless. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think your personality is pretty rad. Thanks, man. Yeah. I think your personality is pretty rad. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're outgoing and like just seem very comfortable with yourself, you know? Like yeah. your head is on straight. You feel like you're trying to make a difference and you're coming at it like with a lot of heart, but also like rationality, mm-hmm. you know? You're like, this is this need that my community has and this is how I'm going to fill it and I'm going to fill it with like this intensity, right? Like this like passion, right? Yeah, I think that's, that's something I've gotten a lot of and I'm really appreciative of is people tell me that they can feel the passion of behind my project every time I talk to them. Mm-hmm. And I'm so lucky because it's natural. I really love what I do. I really love it. You know what I mean? And looking at you, I know that you love what you do and you just appreciate that you've been able to create something that fulfills you in that way. And there's so many elements of what I do that are really, that really you know, touch my heart. The weird thing is that I am a hippie and a half and I never in a million years would have thought of myself as a finance oriented person. I would never, finance was the devil. You know what I mean? Finance was like where the yuppies went and like you sold your soul if you worked in finance and banks and investments and all these things. People had it wrong. Like anyone who was looking in that sector had it wrong. And, you know, like, here's Elisa from the future looking at Elisa from the past and being like, shut up, girl. Like, there's, yeah. there's more to it. We deal in money. It's a reality of our world. We yeah. do. And I managed to find the one area of finance that is so human. We deal with people. And we deal with the people behind everything. Once you get into private equity and you get into these multi-millions, you know, the CEOs are not the founders. It's about an exit. It's about putting cogs together and having the machine operate. Where we work, we're figuring out what the hell the cogs look like, what machine we're in, you know, we're, what, what machine we'd like to be in, but we're not sure. Companies have a total mind of their own, so you're never going to end up selling what your first idea was. And... Nobody has any idea what they're doing, and it's great because we're all in it together trying to help each other figure it out. Hmm. Well, you seem very grounded in where you are and your purpose. Where do you see yourself in five years? Like, what are you moving towards? Oh my god, total impossibility. And I think it's so hard to, to picture past two years for most people, and I try not to because you never know. Like, it, it would be complete bullshit to say I had any image of where I would be in five years. I have, I have no idea. And Wamina has shifted so much from what we initially planned it to be. It has gotten much greater, much bigger, much stronger, much more inspiring, much more global than we expected it to be. Mm-hmm. That I wouldn't even pretend like I have the, like, the, the foresight to know where the hell Lumina would be in five years or where I would be in five years. Mm. The benefit is that it is my company. So I can kind of take it where I want. Right. And my business partner and I 
saying, you know, it's tough to start a business, but the benefit is we're sitting here going, you know, if you want to live in San Francisco, we can make it so that you live in San Francisco. If I want to live in Copenhagen, which is one of my favorite cities ever. I haven't been. I would love to go. Oh, man. They, they got it right in a lot of ways. And they are not even allowed to brag about how much they've got right in this world. Like, they're, it's a great city. So if I want to be in Copenhagen, great. I have no idea how, but we'll figure it out. Like, we'll find a way for me to get involved in Copenhagen. But it's one of those things where I'm really enjoying the ride now, and I've gotten to terms with the fact that it has a life of its own, and that it knows where it should go, and I have no idea where it should go, so I'm just following patterns and seeing the best parts of whatever's coming out of it and then making those stronger and being open to where that leads. Fair Do you not. know where you're going to be in five years? Mm. Yeah, I have a vision for that. Yeah? I actually have a 35-year plan. Jesus, that's very specific. Yeah. What happens in 35 years? So, uh, with in 35 years, there's lots of goals that I have. Mm-hmm. So one is I want to have the souls of society, community, be a billion people strong. Yeah. So the reason why I have these goals is because if I just said that and didn't really think about how I was going to get there, that makes mm-hmm. it seem like a fuck time, right? That's like a seventh of the world. I mean, it would be less than that in 35 years because the population is yeah. growing. But um, in the past four years, there's 150,000 people that follow the project, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, if this continues to grow, it doesn't seem that far-fetched that there will be a million, you know, in like three years, right? Um, a billion is just a million in a thousand cities. So as this project starts to expand and we set up these chapters in other cities and these other cities are focused on telling the stories of their local communities in a very uniquely, like, mm-hmm. flavorful way, like, that's just, that's the tightest shit there is, right? Mm-hmm. Because then we're taking the power away from uh, corporate media that is like constantly putting our attention onto things that don't really matter, mm-hmm. right? And it just kind of like the most powerful thing you have is your time and your energy, right? And for me, this is the best investment of time, mm-hmm. like getting to know another human being, like on a one to one level, mm-hmm. deeply, right? And I've done it thousands of times, right? And I think people all recognize the value that has for our entire community, yeah, right? So, um, I'm starting to have other people who are going to do this, and I feel like that wave is going to be exponential. People are like, oh, I can do this too, you know? Yeah. Like, I can create a connection with this person and just, like, non-judgmentally get to know them and, like, shine their light out to the rest of the world. Um, so that's that's one big goal. I think it's really great that you're able, that you see the benefit in the micro. There's two ways to affect something, right? Mm-hmm. Micro to macro, macro to micro. Mm-hmm. And... One, one way that most massive corporates affect people is macro, right? They hit a, a big ton umbrella of people and then that just spreads and it dribbles down and dribbles down and you get people to focus on these massive issues, right? Like social security and, and healthcare and these kind of big blanket things. And what the Souls Project brings is a focus on the micro, is wait, wait, wait a minute. Okay, yes, that's important as a whole, right? But what's making up the whole? Getting people to connect once again with the individuals 
in front, literally right in front of them mm -hmm. most of the time, mm -hmm. or the individuals in other countries. You know, we have a Souls of Dubai Instagram. You do? That started. Really? I mean, I personally don't, right? But there's a Souls of Dubai Instagram. Huh. And it went viral. I mean, it went, it was gaining popularity by the day, and then the person stopped posting. How, yeah, when did this start? Probably a year ago, a year and a half ago. Hmm. And what's great about Dubai is it's 89% expats. 89% of the population is not from the country that they are in. And most of them are disregarded as actual contributing members of the society. Because unless you have a certain level of job and you're from a certain place and you're getting a certain salary, then you can't live in a certain, in most of the major areas, right? But Dubai is mostly made up of micro-workers that are coming from countries in the East and they're staying in labor camps. And, you know, they're not necessarily getting treated badly, but maybe they are and you never, you can't really connect with them, right? It's a very separate part of life there. And the souls of Dubai would interview everyone, including migrant workers, mm -hmm. highlighting why they were there and what they're doing. Nice. Uh, and it and it shut down. That's interesting. We'll have to, uh, have to get that going again. I, I like hearing that because, I mean, I've had a few people that have written to me and asked if they could do a souls of like whatever city. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I would love that. I would love for it to be all unified under like the Soul Society like yeah. moniker and that like, keeps some sort of like uh, aesthetic and ideological like consistencies. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just it's interesting to me because you know the humans of phenomenon is like mm -hmm. humans of New York and everything yeah. else is like global, and obviously Souls has a different you know tone. So I'd be interested just to hear that person's perspective on like why they chose. Souls over humans. humans, you know. I don't know if people look into it that deeply, to be honest. I think because you live and breathe it, every word that you say has weight to it. And you chose souls for a reason. But I think there's also an element of maybe it sounds better. Sound to better. say humans of Papua New Guinea and not souls of Papua New Guinea. Mm -hmm. Or you know, I'm sure there's another one in Amsterdam or something, you know, the people of Paris as opposed to souls of Paris. And at least even as I'm saying it now, I see souls as like a historical word. Like it carries a lot of weight, right? Emotionally. Right. Historically. Right. Well, because it's about the soul, you know? Yeah. Beyond this, this incarnation. But it'd be great to, you know, explore, be able to share that or express it more in terms of why soul? What is the soul, right? The emphasis and the importance of why you're choosing souls. What are you highlighting? The human or the soul, right? The soul having the human experience. Mm -hmm. That's my personal thing. Mm -hmm. you know, like the mission of souls of society is connecting communities by telling uplifting stories that increase compassion, empathy, and spiritual awareness. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, that's what it's about. See, the spiritual awareness is where it can get a little controversial or where it might not translate across cultures. Um, true, right? But I kind of let go of the idea of trying to make something for everyone. Mm -hmm. Like, I have a very specific, like, vision. But I also think that, um, 
society is like waking up to like we're having a spiritual awakening like as human beings uh, and we're raising the vibration of this planet and our culture and that's mm-hmm. actually like what this whole time is about you mm-hmm. know like when people talk about all the you know the racial upheaval and all these things that are happening and the, the banking collapse it's like that's not that's, those, are, those are really good things right because it's like uh, have you ever done like a cleanse like a like a detox a detox yeah. right so when you start cleansing and eating well like you feel worse first right mm-hmm. like because the toxins are coming out right like it gets worse and then once you go through that like mm-hmm. really dark period then you're like clean right so well historically look at the dark ages leading to the enlightenment mm-hmm. right same cycle right and I feel like souls came from all over mm-hmm. the galaxy to assist in the earth becoming a galactic civilization right <laughs> oh. That's, that's kind of what I was talking about in this podcast with Adam Apollo when I was telling you about yeah. this. He was, that's what we were talking about, you know, just like uh, the Earth is a new planet and like all that stuff you see in Star Wars where there's like tribunals of like all these different, you know, yeah. galactic things. It exists. It's real. The Earth is just not a part of it yet, right? So we're like trying to make our way into that and, you know that requires a deeper understanding of like peace and harmony that mm-hmm. we're trying to achieve. So all these things that are not serving, you know, the racism or the, the systems built on like greed or like disproportionate uh, allotment of resources, like they'll have to go. Right. And before they go, people have to realize they really don't work. You know, it's like, there's some people who were still in denial about how unfair these systems actually were. And now you can't really deny it. Right? Yeah. But there's a, now you need to clarify because are you talking about, a path to enlightenment or are you talking about a cycle that leads from dark ages to enlightenment and another cycle that will get us into another dark period and back into another enlightenment and it can get more progressively better but that's exactly what it is yeah so it's more cyclical right not just a specific path it's definitely not linear everything Mm -hmm. is cyclical i totally agree i think it's a spiral staircase right like you pass through light and dark Right, and you may get to the same point on the spiral, mm-hmm. but you're at a higher level, so you have a deep understanding. Mm-hmm. You have some energetic resonance where I've been here before, right? Like, yeah, it's just like I'm 33 now, right? So, um, I don't have very much angst anymore, right? Like I did when I was when I was in high school or even my 20s, right? That doesn't mean I don't have pain or sorrow, you know, or depression, but I don't have angst because I life is not easier, but I interact with it with more ease. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's the cycle of like great going up. Difference to make the spiral, mm-hmm. right? Like you're still passing through the dark, and it's necessary. You know, that's part of the process. Yeah. But you know, now if I'm not feeling well, I'm like, I have more awareness. I'm like, well, have, did I eat hamburgers like three days in a row? Like, <laughs> did I drink last night? You know, I like. You just slowly start to remove all the things that are not serving mm-hmm. you, rising up. Have you heard of the systems of government? Mm-hmm. Plato and Aristotle's systems of government? Mm-hmm. It's They're both different in that one has five systems of government and the other six, right? But the concept is the same. Is that throughout history, all of Earth's societies go through systems of government. 
and it's a cycle. And you move from one to the other to the other to the other, and you continue, continue. And if you want to know what's about to come up, you have to look into the past. And what's interesting is, so these systems go from an enlightened period where the philosopher kings are rulers, right? Where it's the knowledgeable ones and the enlightened ones are the ones that are leading the way. What comes after that is the strength. So mental strength is soon replaced by physical strength. So you've got the guardians, right? The, the forces, armies, navies, people like that. They come and take over. What conquers them and takes over after that are the people with the money. So you've got people with money buying out the physical strength so that they are then in power. What you have after that is uh, democracy, where the people then take the power over, right, revolt over the people with the money and the people, the masses, right, that 99% rise up. And from that, you then get a tyrannical government. So you get tyranny that comes after democracy. From that tyrannical government, you get rebellion, you get anarchy, you get chaos, and then what comes after that? The enlightened ones will come back, and the cycle and the cycle keeps going, right? So this was this was thought of over two thousand years ago, mm-hmm. and it's very true. And if you look at every society that has come through on this planet, every empire, everything from the Mayans to the French to the Ottomans to the United States, you see that this is a cycle that continues. And if you want to know what's about to happen in the U.S., so you're super in tune, right? So you, let's say, never heard about the cycles of government, and this is not a concept that you looked into, but what you just told me is something that is perfectly in line with that. So what the U.S. has, U.S. started as what? Directly started as a democracy, right? There's no starting point. We just, boom, we came to the U.S., it was a democracy, we came from a monarchy, right? And then the people rose up, kicked out the monarchy. They started as a democracy. What comes after democracy is tyranny. So there's one isolated, dictatorial, omnipotent power. And you've got that. And you've got that in the U.S., right? In a lot of ways, the government has taken away a lot of the rights of the people here. Mm-hmm. There's the National Defense Authorization Act and the Patriot Act that pretty much remove all rights on paper of the, of the American people. So you can get arrested right now without any reason given. And you can be detained for as long as they deem necessary without having to give a reason or give you a trial. If that's, if that's the, the case right now, that means there's no more rights. That means there's an all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful eye. And you've got that in the U.S. right now. People don't realize it, right? But they're awakening. They're now waking up to it. They're realizing what's happening with the banks. And they're realizing that this isn't fair how we're being treated. And you're slowly going to start getting some sort of, like, you're detoxing, right? The toxins are coming out. You're going to get these upheavals. You're going to start getting these racial tensions, right, exploding. And then from that, the enlightened ones will take power. And there is going to be some super dark times that are going to come in the, U- in the U.S. And it's going to get worse. And it sucks because it's my country and it's your country. And we have a lot of love for this place. And if you, I mean, if you believe in what we're, what we've just been talking about, like, you know darker times are going to come. But those dark times have to come in order for the people to then be enlightened and take it a step further and make it something beautiful 
again. Yeah. I could talk about this for ages, man. <laughs> like... Yeah, that was great. That was really <laughs> enlightening. Thank you very much. Yeah. Isn't it? It's super interesting. And you that's why there's a lot of places where you get foreign aid, right? Military foreign aid coming in and helping out. But Iraq, great example. Right? You have a government. I told you, Lebanese, we make things political. You don't want this to be a political show. Making it political. But you've got Iraq where you've got a dictator. And the US came in and broke the people's natural cycle. They came in, they broke the natural cycle. The people did not revolt against the dictator. The people were just. They hadn't gotten there yet to where they, naturally, they would have gotten to a point where they would uh, revolt. Mm -hmm. And naturally, they would have their own philosopher kings emerging in their society to bring them to a better place. What you had was people coming in and completely disrupting that order. So now they're in this kind of like chaos, anarchy situation where it's it's disrupted. So there isn't a natural progression. They have to refine their footing before they can get back on that cycle. Mm -hmm. And who knows on what part of the cycle they're going to reemerge. that is super interesting mm -hmm. yeah wow I've never thought about it from that perspective yeah thank you <laughs> which is pretty controversial because a lot of people say you know you see people in need and you know you can help them and you have to help them right now there's one way of doing it which is you see a guy on the street and you give him your coat and you're helping them you're not disrupting his cycle right you know what I mean? You're being a good human. Right. You're sending aid. You're going and physically helping people on a one-to-one -one basis. But when it comes to ideology and it comes to massive countries, and yes, dictators are doing terrible things, but try to empower the people to be able to make that change themselves as opposed to just coming in and being like, oh, I'll do it for you. Exactly. You know? Teach a man to fish first, fish for him, yeah. Yeah, completely. Learn to, and, and learn to make your own mistakes and you learn to make your own solutions and it's ten times stronger. Exactly. When you're able to do it yourself. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like that's great. This yeah. is a, that's what this planet is about. You mm. know, it's like, um, I was talking to someone the other day about this. It's like, there's, I don't think things are like bad, you know? I think they're like opportunities for growth, mm -hmm. right? Like, there is no Martin Luther King without racism, right? Mm. There is no Gandhi without colonialism. There is no mm. Mother Teresa without poverty, right? Like, these are opportunities for us to step into our like spiritual, like power and like connect to like what is the most important thing because when, when everyone like you said spiritual awareness you didn't know if that was like universal mm -hmm. but I feel like when everyone recognizes those figures everyone says yes like they did something right like they live life correctly like we all can recognize that yeah right so like to me that is the ultimate like like power or like ultimate goal is like being in line with that like force mm -hmm. of energy that like animates everything. And all those other things, uh, they're just kind of on another plane, right? It's the same thing, but it's just another way of seeing things. Mm -hmm. And for me, I focus my attention and my perception on the energetic and spiritual realms, right? And the way I liken that too is like uh, Google Maps when you're going to drive somewhere, right? Like everyone uses the route view, mm -hmm. right? I mean, do you know that there's that, like, Earth view that, like, have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. No, like, on Google Maps, on the internet. 
right or on your phone or whatever I didn't know you could do it on your phone where it actually looks at like the streets that are in front of you right and it's like it, it can be super disorienting right because it's not where you're used to seeing it mm. but you're looking at the same thing it's the exact same mm-hmm. thing it's a different perspective it's a different way of seeing mm-hmm. it so that's what I would enlighten or in, uh, compare like the kind of materialist way or like even political way of like looking at things versus like the more spiritual or like creative way right like because for me, the most powerful people are artists. They always have been. That's what's resonated with me the most, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, Tupac or, like, fucking Bob Marley, right? Like, people are afraid of people that have that much power. Michael Jackson, right? Like, if you put Michael Jackson on in a room across cultures, what are people going to do? <laughs> they're going to dance, right? They're, they're feeling it, right? Yeah. Like, it's like no politician has ever had that effect on anyone. Like, that universal kind of, like, acceptance and if you pair that sort of, like, ability to influence people with, like, empowering them, which is, like, what Bob Marley did, mm-hmm. then you have a problem, right? Then people are afraid, right? Yeah. Because if I can, like, motivate all these people to be in harmony and act together, like, they can't be controlled anymore. Yeah. Right? So, that's the shit that I'm on. <laughs> that's what you're trying to do. That's what I'm doing. That's what you're doing. And it's in a it's very, all about language. It's in a very subtle way, mm-hmm. right? Because... Since we're having this conversation, I can say explicit things about spirituality, but when I'm sharing my views with the masses, they're usually not explicit things. It's just like like the picture I showed you. Mm-hmm. Did you see a soul in that picture when you're looking at it? Can't deny it, right? Like yeah. I don't have to say I believe in spirits or souls. Like you see it, I see it. It's there, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That's all there is. So I think when you just like stimulate, it's like touching that part of a person. Like this exists, mm-hmm. you know. This exists, yeah. right? And then they start to say, oh, this exists. Maybe I'm going to act and choose from this place of being as opposed to like this, you know? <laughs> like They're so close. They're right? so far. So close. Um, and they're interrelated. They serve each other, but you know what I'm saying, mm. right? So, yeah, I'm super grateful to have had you over here. And oh, my God. To get to know you and have this conversation. Yeah, man. It's uh, been a long time coming. I think so, yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I think there are more to come. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. I think that we could talk for much longer, but I know you have to Probably. Go. I don't even know what time it is anymore. 3.30. Shut the front door. Time flies. Yo. You enter into the zone and it's... Completely. Well, time is construct. You know Alan Watts? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a book called The Joyful Consciousness. Mm-hmm. And in one of, I think, chapter two or chapter three, the book opens with uh, basically saying first things first, right? I'm paraphrasing, so it's not quote word for word. But first things first, the world does not operate on the tick-tock of the clock, right? The time is a man-made construct. The earth has its own biological rhythm that has nothing to do with the way that we have decided to break it down. So when you get into these conversations and you get into this trip of vulnerability and openness and calm acceptance, you completely can surpass any sort of man-made construct like time or space or... Totally. Yeah, I think time just exists to be able to tune into other people, right? Mm-hmm. Like 
you're mentally tuning into these people. We will meet at this place in space, you know, at this yeah. time, right? Um, so it makes sense. But I think that's probably why I like festivals so much, right? Because you still meet people that you have a tendency to meet, but mm-hmm. without time and without pre-planning. It's just synchronicity of bringing you to the same yeah. place. And you're just like, ah, the universe, you know? Um, but I'm a hippie too, as you can, yeah. as you can ascertain. Awesome. Um, so the last thing before we stop is, uh, just could you describe your ideal day in exquisite detail? I could, but it wouldn't do it much justice, to be honest. Like the elements that would make my ideal day ideal Require telepathy. <laughs> you know? I definitely have telepathic capabilities. Do you? Can you see what I'm saying right now? Okay. Um, but I want to hear you say it, though. I don't know. I don't really care what I do. I just care about who's around me and what I'm seeing, you know, I think. My ideal day would require me being in an ideal space. And if I'm in that ideal space, I don't really care what the hell I'm doing. You know, and for me, that's more, that's something natural. I need to be in a place that's wildly natural. I tend to prefer mountains, you know, like Switzerland or Tahoe. (laughs) You know, big trees, big, wild, wise trees, fresh air. Sun, silence, complete isolation from most man-made things, and a chance to be or see some of my favorite people, my family, my friends, my loves. And then maybe all of us cooking dinner <laughs> and playing charades. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for that day. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm pumped. <laughs> well, it sounds like it's going to happen at the right time and that it's well on its way. Yeah. Well, I hope that you guys had as much fun listening to Elisa Freja as I did talking to her. Elisa Freja. Elisa, excuse me. Um, Yeah, I think you're doing awesome things in the world, and I appreciate the way you showed up, and I continue to look forward to what else you're going to do. Thank you. Very cool. I appreciate the way you welcomed me. Right on. (laughs) It's a love fest. It's a love fest. All right. (laughs) Peace out. Bye.